Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I'm pumped to have you join our show. This week, we have a special episode. We are joined by Super Mario from San Francisco. Super Mario, or better known as Mario Martinez, is the founder or the co-founder and CEO of Vingresso, the fastest growing digital sales transformation training company in the world. This week, we're talking omni-channel prospecting. You're probably thinking, what the hell is omni-channel prospecting? With so much debate going around about do we do we call... Is it social? Do we sell on social? We're going to debunk some of those myths. We're going to break that down and say, what is a prospecting strategy that is going to drive success for you across all channels? High-performing sales professionals don't just wait for one channel of prospects to come to them. They don't just use social as a means of starting the conversation. They don't just use the phone to engage with prospects. They have an omni-channel approach. They have various channels where they draw in leads and engage with their prospective customers. So this week's an awesome episode, and Mario has so much wealth to share with us, and we're going to really break down what those myths are. Before we get into today's show, as always, if you're liking what we're talking about and some of these concepts, like us, share us, and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm loving the uh, the emails and the, and the messages about the podcast and what you like. Also, share with us you know, what some of the stuff we could improve. So guys, I know that you're probably saying, hurry up, get on to the show. So without further ado, it's the Mario and Luigi show. Welcome to the show, Mario. We're pumped to have you on. Thank you, man. I'm super excited to be here with you and all your listeners and honored to have have the privilege of speaking to my brother, right? (laughs) Mario and Luigi. How good is that? I'm telling you, man. You know, you know how many times I got that when I was growing up. Hey, where's Luigi? Oh, man, I know. Now I officially have a Luigi, Mario and Luigi. Absolutely, I get that. I get that all the time. And hey, where's your, where's your brother Mario? And so finally, it's uh, Mario and Luigi on on the one show. Hey, you know what we should do? We should actually do a video, and we'll call it the Mario and Luigi Show. <laughs> Absolutely, oh, man. That that actually. That actually could go pretty viral. I, I'm telling you, it can go viral. Oh, I'll, wear my, I'll, I'll wear the little green hat, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be I'll, I'll be I'll be the, the fat Italian guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, man, I'm pretty pumped. I'm uh, super pumped to have you appear on our show. Um, but before we get into sort of everything digital, digital selling, omni-channel, growing pipelines, etc., would love to hear a bit more about you. Uh, how you got started in the world of sales. Oh man, I got started in the world of sales um, uh, by by accident. Uh, so I actually used to be a photo finisher at a company called Ritz Camera Centers, wow. uh, where they used to bring 35 millimeter negatives, and I would print them on that big machine, and you know, add on the blue and this magenta and the cyan, uh, and 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 uh, print photos. And uh, one day, the the district manager walked in and said, uh, "I need to talk to you about some of the some of the your 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 sales revenues." And I said sales revenue. So he said, uh, uh, your 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 revenues. You are leading the store in sales, and you're not even a salesperson. You're actually a photo finisher, and you're like, you know, 
top three in the in the top sorry top five in the uh in the in the region and i was like what <laughs> so um lo- long and short of it was i i, I ended up uh, that was in high school i ended up graduating from high school and going off to uc berkeley at cal over here and i needed to transfer uh from the concord store to the berkeley store so i put in a transfer request to be a photo finisher at the berkeley store and he denied the request and uh, he came in and said, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't support a, a changeover in uh, to going to, to, as a photo finisher, but I will support you going in as a salesperson. Uh, and so he forced me into, uh, that was retail sales. A year later, I started doing um, some, uh, an internship for a B2B sales. And about nine months into uh, that, that internship, I got a job at a software company doing telemarketing now called SDR work, right? Yep. Uh, and uh, six months later, I was promoted into um, uh, a, a junior account executive position, made it into President's Club my first year, and then on into an account executive role at the age of 20. So I've been selling since I was 19 years old. It's 20, uh, 20 I guess now 22 years. Oh. Holy crap. No. <laughs> <laughs> 22 years. So that's, that, that's me in a nutshell, and that's how I got started, man. Awesome, man. And so you've achieved a lot of success in that time. Um, early in your career, I mean, what were – if you were to look back, what, what actually – what did you do that made you successful? Hmm. Uh, I was a student of learning and a student of sharing. Uh-huh. I think those are the two things that, 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 uh, that made me successful. Um, I also was not hungry with status quo. Yeah. I, I was extremely ambitious, extremely ambitious. Um, most oftentimes to my own, uh, dismay there because I was held back most oftentimes because I was too aggressive, uh, in terms of my ambition. So, um, you know, when I say a student of learning and a student of sharing, um, I, I always wanted to learn what, you know, what nobody else knew so that I could showcase my knowledge to other people to create value within the organization, primarily internally. And I would do that with all my sales peers and I would manage up. And the reason for that was um, I, I started out in a, a, making six figures uh, at the age of 20 years old wow. and I was killing it, crushing it. And I got promoted moved into different organizations where I was 22 years old and I was the, the age of most of the average salesperson's sons. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I really needed to be able to showcase value and show a level of maturity that was quite different than, than, than everyone else, um, in terms of engagement and sharing and, uh, becoming a student of learning. So that, that was one piece, uh, that, that I would say, you know, really helped. And then, um, I was, I've always, 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 always been goal oriented. So always had a plan, what my personal goals were, my professional goals, always had them documented, still have them documented. Yeah. Every year I review those goals. Um, they include now family, family related items. Uh, I reward myself for achievement. I, um, uh, you know, don't get rewards when I don't achieve. So yeah, I mean, I just very goal oriented. Those are the three things that I would say, uh, I, I was student of learning and sharing. Number one, uh, extremely ambitious and hungry, uh, and um, very much goal oriented. And I rewarded myself and didn't reward myself when I didn't make make my goals. Okay, so there's pretty, you know, there was there's some pretty key things there. I mean, fast forward, you know, you've started, you've been in sales for over twenty years. Have those you mentioned that you're still goal setting, but has the the you know the student 
that you were learning and hungry to share, has that changed or is that still a main focus of yours? No, absolutely. Still a main focus today. Yeah. And, you know, that's the, that's, that's how I became, uh, a, well, well, I guess, I guess if you call me a sales influencer, that's how I became a sales influencer was because I would share information and content, best practices, thought leadership, um, I would start writing about that. Then I started producing videos about that. Then yeah. I started producing my own podcast, the Selling with Social podcast. Um, and that's essentially when when you become a a, a student of sharing, yeah. a student of sharing, um, other people begin to look to you as a source of guidance or wisdom. And that has always been a cornerstone, a, p- a, a pillar in my in my arsenal, if you would, mm. to be able to help me um, achieve the different types of milestones I wanted. Yeah, that's such an awesome way to look at things, you know. Because I, I, in my role, I mean, as, as I spoke to you when we caught up back in, you know, San Fran, um, I coach, you know, many salespeople. Some salespeople that are really open to coaching, and um, others that aren't so open to coaching. And one of the things that I find fascinating is. You know, sales guys that might be at the, you know, 35 to 40 years old, or and sometimes younger, that are just like, no, nah, I've been doing this before. I've had sales training before. Not really open to learning anything new. Um, yeah. And I find that happens in a lot of, you know, a lot of industries. It's not just, you know, fixated to one industry. I'm finding it across tech. I'm finding it across a whole variety of industries. Um, do, you, do you see that sort of similar sort of behavior with salespeople you deal with? Yeah, I think what I've seen, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stereotype uh, because I'm in that Gen X category um, that uh, most many sellers are in. There's also the you know the boomer category, but I, uh, generally what I see is that at the age of especially 45, I would say, and th- there's no empirical data that I have for this, but yeah. this is just my my assessment, if you would. <laughs> but that age 45 and older, um, we become uh, content content with what we've done, how we got there, it's the way to do it. And we don't recognize and realize that there's another way to be able to engage and connect um, with uh, buyers and sellers or, um, you know, learn that uh, in order for me to advance, I've got to learn. Yeah. Uh, and we rely on, rest our, rest our laurels on, you know, our past experience, our past knowledge. But the world is changing so fast, man, so fast. Absolutely. And if you look at, look back, at uh, you know, just you know, certain technology spaces. Uh, I just had this um, statistic here from uh, Jay McBain from Forrester. He was just on my my podcast. No idea about this, but ten years ago, there were only ten thousand SaaS companies. Fast forward ten years to today, there's hundred and seventy five thousand SaaS companies worldwide. Whoa. Right. So, so the world is changing so fast and so are the individual niches and micro niches behind that, that we as sellers, we as leaders need to change and adapt with that, whether it's technology, whether it's a trend, whether it's culture, whether it's social, like whatever it might be, we need to be thinking about how do I change and how do I evolve all the time. Mm. And it's interesting you bring that up because I recently, um, I also interviewed a generational expert, um, Anna Liotta, and uh, she's done a lot of studies on, you know, from the traditionals, people born in 1927, right through to what they call the global, the new, you know, people born from 2000 onwards. And one of the findings that she shared with me was that, um, you know, your Gen Xs born 65 to 77 are now becoming the decision makers. 
they're the ones in the role they're holding the purse strings um yet they fall Absolutely. within you know and they fall within that category that you're talking about they get a bit complacent um and not so keen to look at change um now given that our topic today is all around sort of you know selling with digital and omni-channel um you know how how is this going to affect companies abilities you know or salespeople's abilities to change when they're becoming complacent uh well it's exactly what you just said if you're complacent you can't change yeah. um, the ability the ability to change is still there you have the ability but you're just not doing it yeah. right and and that's where i think a, you know a lot of sales people are sitting at is sales leaders excuse me not people sales yeah. leaders sales leaders we still to this day have cold calling days <laughs> as opposed to prospecting day yeah right so so prospecting day would look at uh, how do you leverage an omni-channel approach and any any sales activity? I'm going to send videos. I'm going to send an, uh, a LinkedIn connection request. I'm going to send an email. I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to send text messaging. That's a prospecting day. Yeah. Right. A cold calling day is you have a non-expecting uh, participant that you're dialing for dollars to try to get a yes, to get an appointment, to be able to have a meeting, to be able to have an opportunity, to be able to have, close something. Yep. Why? Like that to yeah, me yeah. is the stupidest thing that a sales leader can do. I'm, I'm all for prospecting days, all yep. for it, but we got to throw out the cold calling days because guess what? Notice what I said. I gave you five different examples. One of them includes the phone. Absolutely. One of them includes yep. the phone. So that's, that's, you know, one fifth of how we might engage with a potential buyer is through the phone. Yep. That is very different than what you and I did when we were, you know, learning how to sell 20 years ago. The only thing we had was the phone. Absolutely. Right? That that was it. Then email started taking it, it um, you know, mainstream and then we had, you know, email follow-ups, mm. right? So so but be, beyond that, that's what we've been measuring and and still to this day, sales leaders are measuring how many mm. phone calls you made and how many emails you sent out. Yeah. That, that it, it boggles my mind uh, over the fact that we're we're measuring salespeople to a productivity-based KPI. Uh, sorry, excuse me, to an activity-based KPI, not a productivity-based KPI. And this is a really interesting topic, and it's one that stirs a lot of debate, Mario, and you would probably see the, the banter online, right? And I've got my opinion on it. Um, and, you know, I think this is where I go, the definition of, because if I look at when I coach any, you know, B2B, let's talk, talk about in the B2B world, because I think in, in the B2C world, it's completely different. But when, we, when we're in B2B, if a salesperson or, or a sales professional is, has prospected and they've only got a name and they don't have any other research about that person, I call that laziness. Because I'm saying, you know, back when I was cold calling, I would at least, I would buy data, I would actually buy the IBIS World Report, I'd do my, my research of the industry. So before I made that engagement call, I call it engagement call, I had a bunch of research and it gave me a certain narrative that I could engage with them and have a meaningful conversation. Um, I, that's different. For me, that's a, that's a different um, methodology in the way that we engage, right? And take it. Yeah. let's take it back a step because you, you really um, – you, You've made a couple of really strong comments there. How to leverage omni-channel? Firstly, definition. What is an omni-channel approach? 
So omni-channel approach, uh, om- omni-channel prospecting. Omni-channel or, prospecting, uh, yeah. Omni-channel prospecting is leveraging multiple channels to reach out and connect with one of your, your buyers. Uh, it is uh, more than two, right? So it's yep. omni-channel. It's at least a few. And that's backed by science-based uh, data. Yep. So give me an example. Uh, InsideSales.com uh, uh, published a report at their state of sales development report for 2018. That state of sales development report for 2018 showcased the following. That when a salesperson used one media channel, so it could have been direct mail, phone call, email, uh, social, they used one to, t- uh, one to two channels, they got a 10% engagement rate. Yep. 10%. But if you increased the media channels that you used to engage with the buyer, B2B, all B2B, to just minimum three to four. So this looked like phone, email, a video message, a LinkedIn uh, uh, message. Could be, you know, replace video and LinkedIn with a direct mail piece, uh, could be a... um, um, some other social touch on a different on a different network. Um, you could also um, leverage text messaging. Like so, replace any one of those media channels with um, anything. So yep. if you increase from one to two at ten percent, and you go from three to four, you increase your engagement rate with buyers by three hundred percent. Holy shit! You go from ten percent to forty percent engagement. Yep. Right. That's just by leveraging an, an omni-channel approach. Now, why is that? The reason that is is because buyers are they're, they're, just like a cold call. You're interrupting and you're reaching out to someone cold. In my opinion, there's very few occasions that we should be making cold calls. Most of our calls should be considered what I what I would call the lukewarm call, yeah. or at least they somewhat know of you because why? You've looked at their LinkedIn profile. You've engaged with them on social. Uh, you've sent them a video message. You've sent them a, a, an email message. Now you've followed up with a phone call. Now you're going to connect with them on LinkedIn, right? Yep. So th- this is an omni-channel approach that by the time that you connect with them on LinkedIn, they've now seen you four or five times. Yep. That's omni-channel. Omni-channel prospecting is leveraging all channels by which a buyer might engage with. And what are you looking for? A couple of things you're looking for. Number one, uh, we just did a... a, a a webinar event with three CMOs uh, that are extremely well-known companies. And it was called entering into the mind of the marketing buyer, marketing executive buyer. Yep. All three of them from varying size of, of, of organizations, technology uh, based organizations, all three of them said the following. If you try to call me, I will not answer. I do not answer my phone unless I know, unless I see the caller ID period. End of discussion. I will not answer. But here's what they said. If you leverage multi-channel, they called it multi-channel, omni-channel, right? If you leverage an omni-channel approach to to engaging with me, number one, I'm expecting you to do that. Absolutely. You better do that so you can get to know me. You better check out my LinkedIn profile. And if you're selling to CMOs in this case, you better check out my Twitter feed. Uh, you should be, understand who, who my company is. You should understand what some of my business challenges are. If you leverage the omni-channel approach, number two, you personalize that message, 
right? You personalize that message and not, oh, I noticed that you speak, um, you know, uh, uh, Chinese. Uh, by the way, I'd like to have a meeting. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what we're talking about, right? So, so if you personalize that message and um, if you provide multi, multiple touch points, warm it up, warm me up to wanting to talk to you, then I will engage with you uh, if, if there's any level of interest in terms of the, the service or, or, or that you've got to offer. Yeah. So that was extremely important to hear that from CMOs that are from leading technology organizations that are giving advice. It was, it was giving advice to salespeople and sales leaders on what not to do when engaging with them. And, I, you know, I, I, it also depends on the industry. Just mind you, um, we're, we're, we're working with another organization and they're in the transportation and logistics space. And the basic average age of the sales rep is 55 years old. Wow. And the buyers are also of that age bracket. However, an interesting trend is taking place over the last two years. And the trend is they call them the MBAs. The MBAs are now coming in. Well, I was mm. like, what's the MBA? It's exactly what it sounds like. MBA, Masters of Business Administration. All the MBA tech heads are coming into the businesses and they're saying, we're no longer going to run this transportation business like a good old boys transportation network, right? Yeah. We're not going to do that. That's dumb. We're going to use technology to guide our decisions and we're going to use technology to be able to help us advance. We're going to use technology to be able to make us better, faster, quicker, and be able to increase profitability. And all of a sudden, in the last, in the last um, uh, uh, year or so, What's happening is, is the 55-year-old uh, sales guy or gal, yep. way, the way they used to do business, not happening with the MBAs. Yep. They're not getting those relationships with, because of the good old boys or, or gals network, right? That's not happening as a result of that. They're having to learn how to go about and become a modern seller to engage with a modern buyer. And this is, and you're absolutely spot on. You know, I've got one of my clients is a bigger shipping organisation in Australia, and you know, new MD comes on, um, twenty years younger than the previous guy, and he's all about digital transformation. He's all about you know new CRM and you know core principles and the way we engage our customer, and you know the buyer, the buyer's changing. It's really interesting that you bring that up because you know they're traditional yeah. industries that haven't really changed for a number of years. I was going to say, you know, if you think about this for just a second, and you know, I call this the prosumer, right? <laughs> we sell to the prosumer. That's the professional buyer who acts like a consumer. Yep. Now think about this. If you go out and buy a car, there is no way on God's green earth that I'm going to go and buy a car and walk up to a car dealership and not know what my pricing is, what my sticker value is, what my dealer price is, what my manufacturer suggests to retail. I'm going to know all those details before even arriving to a dealership, right? Yep. Think about how you buy cell phones, mm -hmm. how you look at price plans. Everything we do from a consumer standpoint, Amazon, whatever, all of it is done with research based online. Most of our research is online. Now, we absolutely need questions answered. And that's why we go into the stores. That's why we call customer support. That's why we um, uh, uh, ask for people for referrals, right? That's why we, we, look, we get on the message boards and say, hey, who's used this particular product? Any particular issues? That's why we type in Google uh, on the product name that we're looking for. And we're looking for what, 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 what has been reported about that particular product. Yep. Now, that's a consumer buying behavior. So here's the thing. The prosumer is the professional 
who's buying business-related services, B2B, right? Yep. But the buying habits by which they've it's ingrained, it's indoctrinated in our blood of how we go about buying from a consumer standpoint have transcended over into the professional buying standpoint. So, you know, whether you want to say it's 50% or 70% uh, 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 that buyers are, are through the research process of getting information prior to picking up the phone and calling a salesperson, I don't care what the number is. It's a pretty freaking big high mm. number, right? And, and so we need to be thinking about how to sell to the prosumer, not the business purchaser or business influencer. We need to think about how their buying habits in the consumer world affect their buying habits in the business world. And, and it's no different. Mm. That's a really, I really like that concept, the prosumer, because you're right. You know, the, the way that you know, the yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a really interesting concept, Mario. I appreciate you sharing that with me, mate. I'm just going to go back a step. You talk about personalize the message. So we're leveraging omni channel, you know, video, etc. That message that should, you know, is being personalized. Now, given there's a, a marketing role that work, you know, in, in tandem with sales, who should control that message? Should it be a sales-generated message or should it be a marketing-generated message? Mm, uh, both. Okay. Um, so, and it depends on where the where where the uh, the buyer is at in the cycle. Okay. So let me let me give you an example. On the marketing side of the house, if there's an inbound lead that comes in, meaning that I downloaded something, a white paper, ebook, whatever it might be, marketing's going to do what marketing's supposed to do, and that is turn that MQL into an SQL, yep. right? Sales qualified lead. And they're going to go through their normal process, sending out, you know, uh, messaging, value-based emails, um, you know, looking at getting them to take an appointment or buy one of the two, depending on the product or service, take an appointment or buy. Yep. Right. So, so, so marketing needs to do what marketing needs to do. When it comes over from marketing as an inbound lead, seller receives now a lead. You still must personalize that particular message. And, and back to the marketing side of the house. Think about this. What are the companies like Netflix, Facebook, uh, Airbnb, Amazon? What do all those companies have in common every single time you go to their site? It's all about, it's all about you. They, they personalize. Personalize. We, we, we expect that when we open up Netflix, mm. that Netflix is going to serve up suggested content for things that I've watched. If I'm a Star Trek fan, guess what? They're going to mm. serve content that is in that genre of movies, right? If, if, I'm a, if I'm a you know Western guy, they're going to serve up content that's in the Western category because they start to see and observe the type of information and things that I'm consuming. Marketers need to be smart. Yep. Marketers need to serve up that exact same type of content uh, to their buying community and understand where is Luigi navigating on my site? Is he going to uh, training pages or is he going to how to pages on blog content? Or maybe he's going to the content pages on how to do content, uh, content right for, for, for sales. Yeah. Whatever the case might be, I need to be able to provide valuable content that maps to where you're navigating on the marketing side. Okay, that's personalizing the content to you. On the sales side, let's just pretend that Luigi turns from an MQL to an SQL. It's now routed over to Mario Martinez Jr. to go ahead and, and, and start calling on, on this particular uh, uh, sales lead. The first thing that happens is seller gets the lead, and uh, uh, oftentimes what we see is the SDR gets it. They have a, a, a whole slew of leads that they're trying to go through. They pick up the phone, and they call um, Mario Martinez, and they're like, uh, um, 
or I'm sorry, they call Luigi and they're like, hi, Luigi. I noticed that you downloaded, you know, um, the ebook, uh, you know, seven, seven deadly habits to be able to, um, uh, seven deadly sins on, on LinkedIn. Um, I wanted to see if you wanted to have you know more discussion. Well, did they notice that, um, Luigi's actually from a competitor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the point. Yeah. So, so there, there's no research. There's n- nothing going on. And, and so when you make that phone call, first off, you make that phone call with insight. Yeah. That's what you need to do. Make that phone call with insight so that you know who it is that you're calling on. Once you understand that, now you can tailor your messaging, right? Or you reach out to that individual. Uh, some of our buyers are socially active. Many of them in some cases might not be, but it doesn't mean that they're not engaged on social media. That's an important distinction. Um, They may be an active consumer of information, but not an active uh, pusher of information. So just because you don't see content doesn't mean that they're not active. So what do you do in terms of personalization? We have our, our, what's called our PVC, PBC sales methodology. And we teach this in our sellingwithlinkedin.com training course, sellingwithlinkedin.com. Now in the PBC methodology, you're going to first uh, P your, um, your, uh, your message. What is the P? No, we're not talking about urine. (laughs) We're talking about, we're talking about personalize your message. Right. Now, what could personalization mean? It could be things related to something you posted. It could be something as easy as you looked at my profile. It could be something like this, one of my favorites that works all the time. Yep. If Luigi has on his LinkedIn profile that you speak, I don't know, pick a language, Cantonese, yep. right? Thai, whatever. I'm going to go to Google Translator and I'm going to go write my subject mm. line in Cantonese. Yeah, that's great. Right? Yeah. That's personalization. And in the first sentence, I'm going to say, all right, I did my best on trying to personalize uh, the, the subject line. I was trying to say this. I don't know if I did it right in Cantonese, <laughs> but your profile mentioned that you speak Cantonese. So I thought you know, you might give me a tip or two on that, right? <laughs> yep. That totally lets the hair down. Now it's now people are like, oh, well, at least he tried. He obviously read his, his, his my, my, my information. Yeah. Now, now that's just a, a unique unique one for 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 doing um uh, um someone's has an alternate language right, but but personalization um has two elements you're either personalizing to the buyer. Or you're personalizing to the individual. Yeah. So the buyer persona or the individual, when there's nothing there, maybe you sell the small business. Maybe the small business doesn't even have a LinkedIn or Facebook page, right? Maybe the person that you that you're selling to doesn't even share content. There's nothing there. Now you personalize to the buyer persona. Yeah. So D, for, first line of defense is person. If there's nothing there, you can't find anything. There's absolutely no information on social about the individual, about the company that you can leverage to be able to engage and, and connect with someone like yourself, Luigi, I'm selling to you. I'm going to personalize to my buyer. What is the business problem that you are trying to solve? Once I understand that, now I can develop messaging and bring in valuable content to help solve that problem or provide content to help solve that problem. That's the V in PVC. Bring valuable content. Bring value. That's what buyers are looking for. What's the value you're going to bring me? So P, personalize. V, value. 
Buyers want value. How do you bring value? Through content, through education, through awareness, because they're on that path already. Then you bring the C. That's the call to action. Yep. Call to action. Now, most sellers make the mistake of wanting to go straight from, uh, I just met you uh, at the uh, at the bar, and now I'd like to go home with you <laughs> and have a meeting. Yeah. The call to action does not mean that you have to ask for a meeting. The call to action might be a form of engagement. Yep. For example, uh, I personalize a message to you. Let's say you speak an alternate language. I put the, you know, do my, my, my subject line. I tell you that I tried and then say, you know, listen, normally I, you know, when I'm speaking to sales leaders, Luigi, there's two common problems that they have. The first problem is, is they're trying to you know, get their sales team to create more sales conversations with more qualified buyers. And number two, they want to increase their sales win rates. Those are the two problems that they generally have. Directly below uh, in this article, I thought if you have these two problems, I thought you might hmm. find the video of that of one of well, how one of our customers is solving the problem of uh, increasing win rates of value with whatever company name ABC. Uh, and then uh, also thumbnail number two is a ebook, a white paper, a guidebook. A, a blog article that answers the question, how to create more conversations mm. with your sales team in less than 60 days. I think you'll find those two things of value. By the way, Luigi, what do you think about the point found in, in the article Yeah. Uh, about uh, how, to, how to create more conversations in 60 days? What do you think about the point found on, on uh, page two under the heading, whatever it might be, that talks about this? Let me know of your thoughts if those if that's something you've ever implemented in your sales organization. That's the CTA. Yeah. All I'm doing, I didn't say let's have a meeting. I said let me know what you think about this particular point, and I'm asking your opinion. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. This is gold, and I I think one of the reasons why I'm liking, you know, the stuff that you're talking about is we've got to earn the right to get to that point of discovery. And I say this, regardless whether you're right, you can't just go to a bar and say, hey, do you wanna go home with me? You've gotta get to that that point. You've gotta get the comfort levels. You've gotta get, you've gotta build some sort of rapport. And before we can start asking, you know, deep and meaningful questions about a business's, you know, we talk about business objectives, you know, the the CEB, the Gartner model of the challenger sale, before we can even get to that point of discussion, we've gotta earn the right. And so what I love about what you're talking about is that exchange of value. And then getting them to engage with their value and not just a matter of having a meeting. It's about, you know, giving them something and saying, what do you think? I, I think that's a fantastic concept um, and definitely one that our listeners uh, hopefully have got a pen and pad out and they're writing notes about. Well, and, and, and to that point there, you know, uh, you know it, it's our PVC methodology, right? Yeah. The, the V is the value, but there, there's also the BVBV. Okay. You want me, you want me to tell you what that is? Absolutely. The BV, boy as in boy Victor, boy Victor, BVBV, you've got to bring value and continue to build value. Ah, That's gold. You've got to bring value and continue to build value to earn that right for that call to action for the meeting, right? So BVBV, man, you got to bring value and build value. I need need my belt. that's my bell. That's my sales bell. That's gold, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so think about this, right? You think about this. Uh, just because I send you an article yep. 
d- d- doesn't mean that all of a sudden I've I, I've I've built value. Mm. No, I I brought value, yeah, but I'm not. I haven't built, built value. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm going to give you a great example. Um, uh, Simi was a sales rep from Conversica that that sold us last year a deal, uh, and we bought Conversica um, as a software application. Mm-hmm. And uh, Simi, um, for about whatever it was, about seven months that she was prospecting into us. Um, Almost every single time, almost every single time this salesperson engaged with me, she was sending me an article about how to drive up success with your marketing qualified leads, white papers, ebooks, research. And some of it was published by Conversica. Some of it was third party content, which obviously lended towards, you know, moving towards a direction of buying Conversica, right? Yeah. So she brought value. She kept bringing the value to me and she kept building that value, yeah. right? So the point that I'm like, I got to find a way to, 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 to buy from this gal because she's brought me so much value and made me realize that I've got some big giant holes. So bring value, build value. Yeah. So they're the, they're the sort of the keys, right? So we've covered off a fair bit of stuff here um, that the omni-channel, we've got to leverage, personalize, and there's got to be multi-touch points. And the PVC model with the BVB, right? And it's all about the value. And so I think what I've heard you say, Mario, and and you know, leveraging digital, leveraging omnichannel is all about how am I serving up content that's not just going to give value, but where I can actually build on that value to create engagement. You got it. Absolutely right. Fantastic. So let's love to just fast forward a minute and say, right, so we're doing that. Um, you know, we, 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 we've taken your philosophy on board. What are some of the things that you've seen um, that we should stop doing immediately as sales professionals, you know, across these digital channels? Well, we should stop spraying and praying. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you think about email, right? Email was the hot uh, product that we used to be able to engage with buyers slowly over the course of the last 25 years. What has happened? We have email deliverability rates um, that are uh, you know, 99.9% deliverability, yeah. but we have open and click-through rates from emails that are sub 3%. Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing you know, some of my clients 1%. You know, I'm like, why are you sending yeah. this? It's that's worse than cold calling. You know, that's like a cold call. Yeah. You know, one percent. Yeah, absolutely. So, 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 so the spray and pray has proven over the course of time that it doesn't work. Yep. That also includes phone calling. Mm. The spray and pray has proven that over the course of time it does not work. You don't just take out a list and start calling down a list. Of, of people to cold call. You need to be targeted. You need to be focused. Who are those people? You need to do some research before you get you get to them and leverage what we call the three by three. If you're doing cold calling, you better darn well leverage the three by three, three things in three minutes about that person so you understand who that buyer is and what the business problems that they might have um, that are, are impacting them today. Yep. Like th- that, that's super important, right? So, so stop spraying and praying. It's proven. It's proven that we have sucked at it, that it's gotten worse <laughs> over time. Yep. And so why would we think that if we go on social and we start basically spraying and praying in-mail messages or messaging to individuals, 
uh, and I put up a, a recent um, post a, a day or two ago. Uh, it's almost 20,000 views on it in just a couple days, ta- showcasing these connection request messages that people sent mm. me. Now, one of them said, this is the this is an all-time classic. One of them said, I see you run a software company, <laughs> uh, and so I wanted to reach out to connect with you. Yeah. What? Yeah. You didn't freaking see that I run a software company, you bonehead. Because if you saw that, that's not me. I'm either the wrong person or you lied and it's your spray and pray connection message that you're using automation to connect with me. Because guess what? I don't run a software company. I run a sales training company. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, so either you, you were, you were too dumb and careless in your, in your spray and pray on the wrong person that you didn't mean to send the message to, or I was the right person that you meant to send the message to, but you sprayed and prayed because you applied one message to mm. everyone and you sprayed it out yeah. and you're praying that something's going to stick. And every time we do that, every time we do that, we lose the 90, we may get one person to respond, but we lost the other 99 people that we that we reached out to in that, in that group of a hundred. Absolutely. So stop spraying. Stop and spraying and praying. Fantastic. You know, it's funny because I'm getting a lot of bloody Bitcoin ones, you know, and um, all this stuff, uh, you know, leverage property and all, all these in mails and it's doing my head in. Um, it's actually clogging up my, my message. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you know what happens? Just like I do with my email, I just delete. I don't even read. The minute I see the subject line and uh, I, I see a dodgy photo, I just delete because I haven't got. So you, I haven't, you know what I do? I sent him back a message saying, you know, I appreciate the, the message you sent. It's all wrong, <laughs> but I'd like to help you. All you have to do is type in sellingwithlinkedin.com and this whole entire training program uh, around how to message and how to leverage <laughs> PVC will be inside there. And guess what? It's only X dollars per per, 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 per year, right? Yep. It, it's, it, so, by the way, it's, it's uh, $5.97 per year uh, for, for, for this, for the sales training program. So, so, Please buy it because this will help you <laughs> not ruin your sales opportunity. That's gold. All right, so uh, I'll, I'll have to get that that copy and I'll send it to them with the link so that instead of me deleting now, I'll, I'll try to sell to them for you. So that's awesome. There you go. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I hey, just I would love to go back and ask you a question about the influence in your career. And ask all my guests this um, this question: the biggest influence in your sales career and why? The biggest influence on my sales career and why? You know, I don't necessarily know if it was my sales career. Probably the biggest influence on me as an individual, yep. which which basically lended to my sales career, was my dad. Right? Uh, I came from a, a, a poor background. My dad was a, a truck driver. He did local um, ho- um, local uh, drives, so he was home every night. Yep. Uh, but he would get up. He'd be gone by five thirty in the morning. He wouldn't be back till oftentimes, sometimes at nine o'clock at night, because he was working overtime to help support the family. Um, and my dad always, um, pushed me to try, you know, he said, Hey, if you want to be a truck driver like me, it makes great money. It's obviously raising a family of seven, right? Yeah. So he always said, but whatever you do, be the best at it. I don't care what you, if you want to be a truck driver, if you want to be a doctor, just be the best at it. Um, and never settle, never, never settle less for the best. And whenever someone tells you, you can't do it, always remember that you can, yeah. right? Prove them wrong. So I would probably say that it's nothing that influenced my sales career, but more in me as an individual and as a person. Um, I saw my family struggle. I saw my mom and my dad when they, my mom made food and cooked for everyone. I saw when she didn't eat, she wanted to make sure that her babies ate first. And I saw that sometimes there wasn't enough food for her. And so, you know, now as an adult, I think back, I never really stopped to think, oh my God, I got to give some of my food to my mom. I I, I just never thought of me because Mm. my mom made never seem, never made it seem like that, that she was going without. 
it was all about her babies. And, um, and so that, that instilled a different type of, um, um, just drive inside of me. And I think that's, what's influenced me in, in terms of my career success so far. Yeah. Fantastic. It's really, you know, humbling to hear that. I mean, I, my parents have played a big role in my career. Um, you know, migrated here from Italy and, not necessarily around sales, although my mum did teach me the sort of work ethic of sales. It's more about the work ethic of life, you know, and, and what was yeah. required to be successful. And I look at some of the success that I've had in, in my selling career so far. Um, one of the major reasons was I outworked my competition um, because I'm not necessarily, you know, haven't necessarily had the MBA or the, or the certain skills. It was more about I'm, I'm prepared to do what others aren't prepared to do or go that extra 1%. So I appreciate you sharing that yeah. with us, Mario. And yeah, you bet. In in your opinion, is sales an art or a science? Oh, um, I'm going to answer it with. Uh, I always tell people I could say, and I could say, sales is 51% science and 49% art. <laughs> yep. Or sales is. 51% art, 49% science. I could, I could argue both sides, <laughs> um, but, but here's my final answer. My final answer is, here's what I say sales is. Sales is the art of helping, period, end of discussion. So whether there's science or an art, sales is the art of helping uh, your, your buyers. Yeah, fantastic. Sales is the art of helping. Awesome. Well, mate, I've loved doing this uh, this podcast and interview with you today, Mario. There's been so many valuable insights that I've I've taken and I'll be implementing um, immediately. So I appreciate you sharing it um, with us. I appreciate the content that you put out um, and what you're doing to improve, uh, you know, the sales community, Mario. So I want to say thank you. Um, and before we let you go, are you able to tell our listeners where they can find a bit more about you or how they can connect with you or look at your program? And we'll also put that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first, you can follow me on Twitter at M, as in Mario, underscore the number 3JR, M underscore 3JR. And feel free on LinkedIn to follow me on LinkedIn. If you type in Mario Martinez, I'm the first person, hopefully, that pops up. <laughs> Mario Martinez Jr. Yep. I'm um, the CEO of Ingresso. Ingresso.com is our website. And then, of course, just type in sellingwithlinkedin.com. Uh, order the uh, the training program now, yep. and you're going to get a lot of these insights right inside of that. It's about seven and a half hours worth of training. Oh, fantastic! It takes you all the way through from um, how to how to uh, uh, the mindset you need to have on today's digital age to branding, all the way to developing a cadence program. Hey. So take it yep fantastic and we'll put that in the notes and then on on the landing page we'll put a you know we might put a special mention about that particular course so our listeners can um can engage with that so again mario thanks so much for your time really appreciate it and uh yeah man look forward to catching up when i'm back in the u.s i love it man or i'm or i'm in the down under hey <laughs> we've got to get you down man sounds good thank you so much for having me thanks man Wow, what an episode. So what did you learn from that episode? Did you learn that prospecting is a bit more complicated or did you learn that prospecting is actually quite simple? Know your customers, find out where they are and engage with them. What I loved about what Mario said is, there's multiple ways for us to engage with our customers. There is no right or wrong, regardless of the thought, you know, regardless of the influences you're listening to and what they're saying. We can pick key pieces of information from all the thought leaders and design a strategy that works for us. Remember, what works for you might not work for someone else. 
We don't always necessarily have to copy others. We've got to design a prospecting strategy that works for ourselves. So my challenge to you this week is, what is the strategy that you're going to use to drive more prospects into your pipeline so that you can be the best sales professional you can be?